I fucking hate Radio Lab. I think it is the most destructive, <laughs> horribly produced, overly produced, ridiculous, pandering Ira Glass ball juggling in the throat fucking shit show that I've ever heard in my ears in my life. I fucking hate it. I almost broke up with Katie because she's like, this is a great show. This is new while we fall asleep in bed. Like in our early, I'm like, oh, fuck the worst. It's like two different Ira Glasses with their lame voices. And I can't tell who's which one is which. And neither of them Ira Glass, but they're just like a different decibels here. Like there's this one here who's talking and he's producing. And then there's this one here who's producing. And you're never quite sure who's talking. They just throw shit in like, here's a bell. And like, here's another person who's talking. It's fucking insanity. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. David get a little saucy, so be forewarned, your sensitivity is not their problem. The Literate Ape Cast is for people who can handle both their liquor and their gag reflex. I'm very excited about today's episode. I feel like generally in life, there's not enough Heather Bodie <laughs> in it. There was a time when there was a lot of Heather Bodie in it, and those were good times. But these days, not as much. And it's just, you know, COVID. Uh, I'm just going to blame it on COVID. Okay. Because, yeah. Sure. Um, so we have a special guest today. My dear friend, Heather Bodie, who is an actor and a singer. The only and... person to ever do a bug house by singing it. Right. In full-blown lederhosen. Uh-huh. She commits. She, she commits she to the bit. All the fucking Commit way, to the bit. Uh-huh. Uh, what else? I could change Bodie? my middle name. But <laughs> Bodie's That's middle a long name is Ray. Name. So Commit to the bit. It could use some punching up. Yeah. Uh, no, I like your middle name. Um, it's Thank also you. part of your email. Uh, but yeah, I'm getting there's distracted. A weird story behind that. Ooh, I'd love to hear it. Uh, Heather Bodie is also uh, a dear friend of of mine and Katie's and she is responsible in a, in a way, a very direct way of this entire podcast of literate ape as a whole. Really? No, I didn't know. Oh that. my gosh. Because I think I introduced the two. Oh, of them. that's right. Okay. So David said this, any opportunity for David to tell the story about how I was supposed to direct this thing. And then I didn't. And then he won anytime, any chance he gets. Well, I didn't win the playwriting competition. Oh, no, you didn't. M- MT Cazola won. Yeah, but you'd be well deserved. But I, Joe. I was, I was runner-up, and, and I was in Joe's because that's yeah, what I you, do. you were nothing. Um, I was, nothing. but you know, ultimately, a couple of years later, here we are. Here we are. Um, Heather's also got a day job, that pays the bills or pays a bill, part of a bill. Yeah, a bill or two. Yeah, bill, a bill or two or dose. Um, not the heating bill during this Chicago winter. Let me tell you. Wah, wah. Oh my gosh. It's so cold today. My car just gave up. I was driving to the <laughs> studio and it, it, the little, it just said zero. I, and you know, the radio is like, feels like below 30, but my car just said zero up at the top. Zero. Like, Oh, it so doesn't started even... the car and the engine, instead of it going, it went, Burr. It did. I mean, it truly did. And then the, every time we got to a stop sign, it was like, 
uh, I started my car this morning, just went, fuck this shit, and it died. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, because oh. uh, I took a walk in the park today without a jacket. Nope. My car my car started right up, and I drove, and I thought about Vegas, getting it washed. <laughs> you know? That's right. We're talking about that Nevada. That Nevada. Uh, Heather is also the executive artistic director of Erasing the Distance, which is a, a charitable organization that... Katie just informed me she often donates to when she. I just saw that today. I've got a caller. Yeah, when she uh, sells a home or gets a, a new buyer in a home, <sighs> she takes a portion of the money she makes and she donates it to a charity that is important to her. And Erasing the Distance is one of those charities. Uh, what a dream. So, when Literate is uh, is fully nonprofit, is she gonna she gonna donate? Literate, to Literate? I will have to tell her. Um, I but I guarantee you she will not donate a single cent. To literate ape. That's what I'm okay. There you go. So then it's pointless to even bring it up. Okay. All right. I, and I'm you know, okay I'm with that like, because she's her money's going to other I mean, let's be honest. Better things. What are you talking about? But you, dear listener, should definitely donate to literate ape. So Heather, <laughs> if you could what is the tell us about erasing what, the distance? What do I do? So erasing the distance is a nonprofit arts organization based in Chicago, Illinois. Um, we were founded in two thousand five. And uh, we are on a mission to disarm the stigma that surrounds the conversation about mental health, mental illness. And we do that through stories. So people come to us, share with us, sit down sort of like in an interview style and um, talk about their experiences with mental illness. And then we transcribe those interviews, shape them into monologues and hire actors to perform them. And then we travel all over the country performing these stories. And then I help or other facilitators help facilitate a conversation following the performance so that people can kind of in a big public setting out their personal biases and, um, but it's yeah, kind of, kind of anonymous, their right? Stigma. Yeah. So because the actors are performing stories that other people told, um, I think it really frees up the audience to, to ask, questions that they wouldn't necessarily ask in polite company. There's a couple of times we've used um, the people who lived it to share their own stories. And then the conversation afterwards totally shifts and people are like, thank you. Wow. That was brave. Good for you. You know, it all becomes sort of like yeah. quiet and polite. Wrote. And as soon as I point out that, Good you know, if, you. You know, or like, and if it's an actor, yeah. then people suddenly say things like, I don't understand. You look so normal. You know, and we get to be mm -hmm. like, whoa, 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 wait, hold. And then what if, is, and then if what it's does mental B, illness look if, like? If I'm you the know? actor, if I'm the actor, they say, wow, I don't understand it. You look so normal. Then I would look at the person I was playing and go, yeah, but he doesn't. He's the guy I was doing. <laughs> and then, you know, it He's brings it right home. See, you know, we, you work, we have no, stigmatized the that, discussion but... of mental health and coming on the Littered Ape, we're just going to erase all of the years that you have destigmatized it and re years of destigmatize it. And in the small world that we live in, uh, you know, our, our, our old friend Rory Zacker has performed in several, right? Several of, of the, yeah. the shows that you've put on, Bodie. So, yeah, it's yeah. um, I did an auction for her. You did. I was, was there to raise you. money. It was very yeah. successful. Oh, and I did yeah. some voice work. Yep. For you. Voice, I did some voice work for you. Yeah, voice work you did for a video, right? Oh, you, and you did some um, 
didn't we use you you like hand modeling oh my hands i was like a hand actor yes yeah you were a hand actor that's right oh my i'm realizing that our circle of friends in our network is, is yeah, tiny very much overlapped there's yes. like yeah there's like a baker's dozen of us that's it <laughs> That, like that, like know each other and go to each other's uh, shows and support each other's nonprofits and isn't that how life works? Things. I think that's kind of how I, Chicago works. Apparently, it's not how um, Vegas works, but that's you know. Hmm. But I'm, I'm thrilled to have Heather on the show. We're both thrilled to have Heather on the show. Um, we've been trying to do this for a while because Bodhi is such a. Yeah, why am I here? Well, because you're a woman. You have a vagina. We don't have ah. enough. We don't have enough big girl energy on the ape okay. cast, and uh, that's the only reason. No, it's not. It's because you're interesting and you've got things to say. I mean, let's be honest. It's a reason. It, well, yeah, yeah. It's definitely part of the reason. Big but big girl energy. We like the big girl energy. Um, but I think like mostly it's because uh, you, like Don and I, have journeyed through the artistic world as. An actor, writer, producer, director, uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah, all these things, as well as the professional world. You've been like Jesus. You were a, a financial advisor for a hot second it a was, couple of years. Like, I mean, what wasn't I? Yeah, right. So, well, you know, before what, what do you call it, Don? It's it's a not a meandering journey. What do you call it? You're it's a multi hyphenate. Oh, oh, what do I? I call it a gypsy, but no, that's totally racist. That's now, not so. it. There's some. There was something you said uh, years ago. Whatever. Not a nomad. The idea of multi passionate. Multi-passionate, nomadic, uh, yes. seeker of journeyman and 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 journey excitement. person. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was interesting before you before you hopped on and we were just talking before we started recording. Heather mentioned I asked her about theater, you know, because COVID, there's been no theater and that kind of stuff. And I said, and she she had this look on her face, and I'm gonna and I have her explain it, where she was like, yeah, I'm kind of. I'm kind of over theater. That's not what you said, but that was sort of the gist. That was so the tell me, because because yeah. and and I I feel exactly the same way. And now, granted, there's very few opportunities for me to either see or do theater or storytelling or any kind of live mm -hmm. performance. Wait a minute, Vegas. Don. There's like 900. Well, let's be accurate. There's 27 different Circus Olay shows in Las exactly. Vegas. Tell me that theater isn't thriving. No, but I mean, the, kind of the, the kind of theater that I would do. You know what I mean? No, I know, it's like, I know. It's like, you know. So, Heather, explain that the, the, because, the, yeah. And then I want to get into how effective the, the, the mental yeah. health thing is, because I am fascinated by that. But go ahead. Yeah, tell, no, tell, tell me so about I'm the not... theater thing. Well, I, I think, I, I think I've got to start back with what David had said when you were alluding to sort of this like multi-passionate journeyman, whatever you want to call it, career path of doing many things. Um, I am an adventure addict and I really love to try and see and experience new things. So I say yes to pretty much everything. Um, if I, especially if I haven't done it before, then you That's better the believe I'm going to say yes. And so it's really strange in this new role where I know David, when we first started, you were like, what exactly is your title? My title has three words in it now. It's obnoxious, but it felt like overnight, as soon as I have a title with multiple words in it, now I get random emails from people who want to take me to coffee and talk about my career and like how I got where I got. And it's just so wild because when I start to tease it out, first of all, there's absolutely no linear fashion to it in any way, shape or form. And 
second of all, it is this only made possible because I said yes to 500 things that took me in a thousand different directions that I built the skills that made it possible for me to land in the job that I did. So um, I can say nothing but good things about following a path of saying yes to many different careers, because I think the skills that you build along the way make the next one possible and I'm loving it. So that's my comment to that. Uh, as far as like being meh about theater, um, I know it's kind of faux pas for me to say being an artistic director of a theater arts organization. This right? is why I think so it's an interesting I'm question. Really yeah. aware that's a strange sentiment to hold, but I think something that lost its charm for me a little bit. I, I don't know how many folks listening are really familiar with the Chicago theater scene, but it has a very, very strong hustle culture. Uh, what show are you working on? What are you working on next? Are you writing anything? Are you developing anything? Uh, people are constantly, constantly making new work in the city of Chicago and um, there's very little pay. And so it's this very sort of hamster wheel, exhausting cycle of take on as many jobs as you can at the same time. So we're often working with artists, like I'll have somebody in rehearsal who's also in rehearsal for two other shows and memorizing lines for three other audiences and blah, 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 blah. So um, big hustle culture, lots of exhaustion. And the fact of the matter is the majority of people who go see storefront theater in Chicago are either related to the people on stage or friends of the people on it's stage. It's chess, chess playing for chess players. Yeah, so we end up, in, in a lot of cases, we end up doing theater for each other. It's like a, like a whole community that puts on shows for one another as opposed to... Uh, so, you know, the city at large. The pandemic really, really shifted something in me um, because everybody started coming to me as though I was the expert on how to manage and maintain mental health during a crisis. And the fact of the matter is I run an arts organization based on reflecting on past crises. Right? Like yeah. all I do. You're not a psychotherapist. People, yeah. No, I have people talk to me about hard times they had in the past, how they moved through them and found like a path toward healing. And then I encourage other people to do the same. So when everyone came to me looking for me to be the expert while I was, you know, the waterline was up to my eyebrows in the same way as everyone else. Um, I started talking about that. And throughout the pandemic, I have hosted a series of keynotes um, for pretty large groups of people digitally about how we express what it is that we're feeling, um, how we talk about our mental health, and not necessarily using diagnosis language, but talking about what it is that is going on in our body and how that's affecting how we're interacting with somebody or how we're working, et cetera. And I realized that what I'm passionate about is making a big impact in a very short amount of time. And I think that theater, traditional theater in the way that I've practiced it over the past decade or more is enormous investment, both financially and time and artistic investment for a very small group of people to see it. Mm -hmm. And then it's gone. Yeah. Um, I just, I just wrote just a not piece. where my passion lies. It's anymore. funny. That, it's funny that you mentioned it because yeah. there's a Ray Bradbury uh, story and it's, it, I mean, uh, it, the piece basically is about a guy who's, uh, you know, like in a beach house, you know, and he, and he's up on the second floor 
he looks out on the beach and he sees a dude that looks just like Pablo Picasso. And he's like sketching in the sand. And he looks a little harder and realizes, motherfucker, that is, that, that's Pablo fucking Picasso. And he finishes his little drawing in the sand and then walks away. And he's like, holy shit, that's a Picasso in the sand. What? And then he notices that the tide is coming in. And he's like, do I go, do I go get take it? Do I have time to take a picture of it? And he doesn't. And do I, what do I do? And all he can do is just watch it as it dissolves in the tide. Isn't and that I what makes like, it beautiful? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's that, 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 that kind of thing. <laughs> I like the story, but what I think is very interesting is most of my, I was I just, if there's anything that's been sort of like, Hey, what do I do? Since I now work from home and I sit on my ass all day long, I sometimes go into a rabbit hole of nostalgia, you know? And it was like most of the theater that I did when I was in Chicago, and I did a lot of fucking theater, is just masterpieces in the sand. It's stuff that I remember. There's maybe a picture or two, there's a review, but really, they were just things that I can say I saw and did, and so what? I washed away. That yeah. is the most Don Hall thing to say about your theater experience in Chicago. I was just doing masterpieces in the sand. Hey, we That's did a just... play that got on the arts, the cover of the arts section of the New York Times. We were kicking some ass, man. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not bagging on it. WNP was doing some badass work. Just, it's just a very. It's a very. It's very eloquently Don Hall. Most of the Chicago theater. Well, nope, all the Chicago theater I've done. Yeah. Every piece of Chicago theater I've done has involved Heather Bodie. <laughs> really? Every <laughs> single piece. And she now feels okay. meh about it. So maybe it's not theater. It's maybe totally it's my theater fault. No, 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 I think I no. need to clarify something. I think theater. If we can is, call what we did theater. <laughs> I think theater is magical. I think sitting in yeah. a live theater space with real live people and watching something happen on stage, <laughs> right? Watching those relationships unfold. I think it's especially magical when people do things in the theater space that can't be done on film, right? Like when, when a play tries to be just like a movie, but on the stage that loses me completely. Um, but when there's like, when all five senses are involved, you know, and there's yeah. like, you can smell something in the room and there's mist and then there's a big piece of cloth that drops from the ceiling, you know, that sort of stuff is absolutely magical and transformative. It's just um, a diamond in the rough. Yeah. I see. I like, like the big figures. Yeah, it's it's um, I like it when they, I like that when they really try really, really hard and they just can't make it happen. It's not that they're untalented. It's just that they're trying so hard and it's so above their ability to accomplish. Those are my favorite shows. I celebrate those <laughs> because they are trying so fucking hard and they are failing so majestically. There's something about that failure that just brings me joy. Uh, I love them for that. I would rather see that than the best goddamn production you ever see in the Goodman. I, I, want, I, rather, I, want, to go, yeah. I want to go back to what, Bodhi, what you said about trying to make a play a movie or whatever that, that was but real quickly there is there is a play that's being promoted i hear it on the radio i'll see it on tv and i think it's called oh shit what is it called uh, the play where everything goes wrong i think is what oh, it noises off 
No, it's it's called like the play where the play everything where goes everything wrong. goes wrong. And oh, it's wow, that is a the play worst. where everything goes wrong. The set falls down and somebody forgets their line. And to me, that takes all the magic and all the fun out of the theater. Because to what you were saying, Bodhi, that like there's real people in the theater, have things happening in real time. There is no cuts. You cannot do take do-overs. Part of the performance is affected by the all of the performance is affected by the audience there's mm-hmm. you can sense a mood in the audience where i i can't count how many times i've been in a theater where i feel like i'm the only one reacting this way whether it's laughing or crying or mm-hmm. being afraid whatever it is and the rest of the audience i can feel them not with me or i'm not with them you know so when you create this play it's like this mm-hmm. is going to be funny everything's going to go wrong there's always a, a there's a bit of danger in live theater where What's going to go wrong? Is someone going to forget their lines? Will we even know it? Will somebody, will an audience member fart? Is that well, the smell the that's happening? Inevitably, you know, like inevitably, something will go wrong. It goes right. wrong in every show. Every show right. is totally the, different than the last. So how is theater helping the mentally unwell in your mind? Because because I'm still having a hard time with the idea that you can take People with deep mental illness, they can explain mm-hmm. why they're you know, their hardship and that you can have someone do their monologue. How does, how does, I, I'm curious, because I'm sure it does, but I'm curious, how does that help? Because I don't know how this works. I mean, I understand the mechanisms you've explained, but I'm, I'm really curious how, well, yeah, go, I'm sorry. Just yeah, no, I, this is. I'm trying to absorb all of the things that you just said as I'm like peeling back the onion of whatever's going on over there. Uh Some advice before you do that, take a nap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let it all sink in through osmosis. Wake oh, up, I've got go for thoughts. a run. I've got thoughts. Yeah. But as I tell people at every performance, I am an artist, not a clinician. So I'm not here to dole out advice, just to have conversation. So uh, I'm going to stick with that and not go armchair therapizing anybody um, in this moment. But you're asking, how does it work? Yeah. because I mean, um, is there a clinical basis for this or is it just a cool idea? Well, there are therapy, like there is a type of therapy called narrative therapy. And I think that what we do follows some of the ideas around narrative therapy, all of that to say, I've never studied it. And again, I'm not a licensed clinician. I am an artist, but I can tell you that from witnessing hundreds and hundreds of stories, that patterns start to show up. So, um, I now in some ways I do not play armchair therapist, but I can, really quickly identify what someone's diagnosis might be once they start to, you know, run through what it is that they're experiencing. Um, I don't share that with them. That would be completely unprofessional and probably illegal. You're kind of like um, Joe Rogan when it comes to COVID. I'm like, Joe you don't know Rogan. shit, but you've, oh, oh. you talk about the, it. You've done yeah. the horse pill. You've done the horse dewormer and you felt good about it. So you can talk about it. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, so here's, here's a couple of ways that I believe it works, or at least when I, when you say work, um, or ways helps, I've whatever. seen yeah. people find that benefit in it. Um, for the people who come and share their stories with us, it is rare, if ever, that any of us have a setting where we can sit down and tell 
the story of our entire lives, right? Starting with what childhood was like through today in a very intimate and vulnerable way with a stranger who is not there to assess the situation, diagnose the situation. You're not paying them, right? Like our job is quite literally to stay curious and to sit and be a set of ears. Um, so people will often during their time with us, like an interviews are usually like an hour and a half to two hours. They will have absolute discovery moments on two, three, four, sometimes five occasions where they say things like, huh, well, I never thought about it like that before. And now that I say this out loud ever after having just said that, I see a connection I didn't see before, you know? And then at the end of those two hours, people are hugging me, <laughs> uh, thanking me saying they didn't know how badly they needed this. I get emails all the time saying that conversation set me on a path to change therapists, or I decided to go back on medication, or um, I've now opened up to my family about what I'm living with. Like there is something really magical about just being listened to. There's so power, there is power in, oh man, there's power in storytelling. There's power. In Mr. Gomez will tell you that. Yeah, I know. And I think that a lot of it, and I, that's why I groaned at myself before I said it, but the, the, the idea of power and storytelling, it has, th that has been commoditized. Commoditized? Sure. Commodi it's it's com ubiquitous. Commodified. Commodified? Eh. Commodity? Commodified? It's a commodity. Yeah. For it's a commodity. It's commodified. Yeah. It's, it's, it's lost. It's become it's, commercialized. It's, it's uh altruistic goodness and Which, luster, I think. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but I, I think what it feels to me, if, if I understand like what in the, what you do Bodhi and the way that your organization and, and what erasing the distance does and how it does it in the, in a good way, in a great way, it's, insulated from the the bullshit storytelling community where like this is honest helpful actual beneficial stuff and it's the only reason people are doing it like the only reason that a you know arguably professional actor like good old rory zacker is doing this is because yeah it's it you know he gets a little paycheck but he cares about what he's doing he's making some kind of a difference rory might sit down and say something like nah man I had nothing to do on a Sunday night and I needed, you know, the, well, that's what he would money. say, but he I also saves that. dogs. But so there's, I know like there's, there's a real uh, benefit to the way and the how of what you're doing. And I well, think that's, that's great. It, it has not ruined the power. It's like the, the last remaining nut of the, the benefit that's that the power storytelling brings. And where we differentiate from a storytelling, the, the storytelling community, I think I believe that you're referring to is that the words aren't crafted. It's right. verbatim text pulled from a mm -hmm. long, casual mm -hmm. conversation. And yeah. we leave in all of the stutters, the um, the but, the, you know, people cut themselves off like I just did mid-sentence. We leave yeah. all that in and punctuate that. And so- um, while we reduce the overall size of the story to go from a two hour interview down to a 10 minute monologue, we don't clean up the mess of the way we casually speak. So yeah. it's not, there's no button. There's no, um, mm -hmm. there's no, it, it, 
it sounds as though the person is coming up with it on the fly in front of you, even though it's it's word for word a script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like... get good actors, then yeah, then they can yeah. pull that off. Yeah, and and well, and, and it's good actors, often... and I think it's good editing. <clears throat> editing. I mean, I don't know. Is is it you that takes that verbatim and creates a script to hand to the actors to give it to them? Because yeah, yeah. it's hard to cut. If you got to get it down to ten minutes, the first things to go are the stutters and the ums and the pregnant pauses and all that mm. other shit. But if that's what helps make the story, then you got to really go and find every mm. single piece of gristle, every flavorful piece of fat, cut that shit out. So it is just pure stuttering meat. <laughs> it's that's, that's hard. And that's, I mean, I always tell people, I said, going from 40 it, pages to 20 pages is easy. 20 to 10 is a challenge. 10 to five is nearly impossible. And to go from five pages to two and a half will take you two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, 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 oh, you got to find the right, you got to find the right, the right place for every single word. Like it's, you ever have, well, you ever have sucks. somebody I, tell a story where you're just like, well, give me a fucking break. Uh, like, I don't believe them. Is that what you're saying? No, or just like this isn't a problem. You're just you're just nervous. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm just I'm, I'm not. You know what I mean? It's like you mean like you, like when my wife sent me an article today exactly. that said women go undiagnosed with, with autism and she thinks she has autism. Yeah, it's like mm. did, did you ever mm. just you know because what I've noticed and well, you Katie mentioned, and I should talk about that. Yeah, there you go, and then you can do. No, you should talk to a professional. And a doctor before you self-diagnose. I'm an artist, yeah. not a clinician, but, but, but I'd love to talk to your wife about the it. The thing that I've noticed, and this is, you know, my particular bit, but what I've noticed about, uh, especially during the COVID times, but what I noticed it before is there's a whole lot of people that are self-diagnosing themselves with PTSD, which isn't a thing. You can't, you don't, that, that's not how it works. You can't say, I have PTSD. Mm. And trauma has become, you know it's like you don't have trauma because your boss is an asshole that's not what trauma mm. is that's not how trauma works well but then i would then i would on. wait then don i'm gonna stop you real quick yeah. then what is trauma and how does it work give me one second and i'm gonna tell you exactly oh the I everybody can't, I can't definition wait. of that Dear very, do you see why this is why right there is why i love heather Bodie so goddamn much because <laughs> that's a good question i have the answer I'm Don Hall. I'm going to stop you right there. She's the only person that has ever said that without it turning into a. No, it was a good question. Eight week long social media. Okay, according to I'm just going to I'm just I'm going to answer the question. According I'm, I'm, I'm to, excited. This is exactly what uh, clinical te technicians and psychoanalysts um, say a traumatic event is. It yeah. is traumatic event is an incident that causes. Physical, emotional, spiritual, or psychological harm. Specific clinical examples of traumatic events include physical pain or injury, serious illness, war, natural disasters, terrorism, witnessing a death, rape, domestic abuse, incarceration. And if you notice, microaggressions, suffering religious contempt, having to wear a mask in public or into a coffee shop. None of these things are on that fucking list. And, and, and what I've is, read what enough. What is that source there, Don? Huh? What is that source? 
That is uh, from uh, George Bonanno, author of The End of Trauma, How the New Science of Resilience is Changing How We Think About PTSD. Well, so here's so here's how I'm going to, how... That's why I asked the question, because I've been reading about I'm this and I'm curious. I'm going to speak to this in, in a way that um, I'm going to try and stay as close to mission as possible uh, in, to honor organ my organization, but also because this is like morphed into my identity too, right? Now that, especially now that I'm doing public speaking around how to talk about mental health, I think that that directly relates to what you just said, which is um, words and language evolve. And as we become more familiar and more comfortable talking about a topic, we are sort of limited to the language that has been laid out for us to define what it is that we're experiencing. And until new language develops and new sort of common understanding of how to communicate about what it is that you're experiencing develop, we are gonna see these sort of gray icky moments of like, you used a word that you believe applies to you. I believe that word has a different meaning altogether. And really even the definition that you just read, while that might be the by the book uh, where, yeah, I'm not I'm, sure where you sourced it, right? But I, while that might be that like book, a technical, yeah. but it's like the by the book definition, we also have to remember that it's a group of people that laid those things out. And when we talk about even the science of psychology uh, and neuroscience and how we have been um, studying and speaking about mental health, it's a very, very new practice. Oh, yeah. Um, so I find all the time that we're, we'll be performing and I'll be talking to people who are clinicians, who are social workers or counselors in the schools, and they'll use language that to me was outdated five years ago. And you know, I feel shocked that they're using a term that no longer applies. So when you talk about PTSD, we have to remember that at one point we were talking about shell shock. We were referring to a shell shock or soldier's heart or, you know, yeah. so War battle neurosis, fatigue, yeah. right? So language changes and evolves. And I think what you're experiencing right now is a moment in time where language hasn't developed or evolved to match the experiences that people are trying to explain and or the words that they're using to you have old definitions i think i think you're, so i think, I think that, it's just a miscommunication i think that's part of it i also think that that i mean that's the the piece that i i just cited from that i wrote for the ape um was called performative trauma is the devil's bargain because mm. you know and, and i go back i even go to the point of the devil where we learn the blame game uh, in Genesis, you know, which is pass the buck, blame blame the thing, blame the snake, because the fucking snake mm -hmm. is his fault, right? He doesn't talk, so great, let's go with that. Um, what I what I see, and, and I included in my my thing, and, and granted, this is very specific to me, so of course I'm gonna my my lens is gonna be. So I tell the story about when I was nine years old, and I punctured my nuts with an S hook on a swing and my balls are bleeding, and I go to my mom, and it was not the last, but the first time a woman laughed at my naked cock because my uh, mother, because I'm bleeding, and I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm bleeding from my nuts, and I'm nine years old, and my mother doesn't know how to react because I'm so dramatic about it, so she just laughed at me because she knew I was fine, and, you know, that destigmatized, and then I tell a story about when when I was 32, I got divorced. My theater company fell apart. Everything was going wrong, and I tried to commit suicide. 
And my suicide attempt, and I reason I put air quotes around that, was that I went out, I got really drunk on scotch, went out at 3 o'clock in the morning, and was going to drown myself in Lake Michigan. And I got up to about here, you know, almost my neck, and then realized that there was no one to see me do this dramatic thing. And at that moment realized, oh, this isn't about me committing suicide at all. This is maybe about me people seeing me do it. So I called my mom. My mom, little Irish woman, says, how many years? You're 32? I said, yeah. She said, so you've had one bad year? I said, yeah. She says, what other years in your 32 were bad? Like bad enough to want to kill yourself? I said, none. She goes, one out of 32 is not bad. Get off your ass. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Boom. And that's my training when it comes to mental health is figure your shit out. Just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's 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 a thing to go get treated for. That doesn't it's so I'm kind of left oh, behind but, in this well, conversation. But at the so same time, things. Don, yeah. I mean you can't don't don't diminish that hard year. Don't don't brush off that hard year you had. Like a hard year yeah. is a hard year. Years but a I got long over time. It. Yeah, you got over it. But part of that journey to. was getting to the point where I'm gonna kill myself realizing that that's not the best thing to do and you're killing yourself for the wrong reason. Three, your mom calling you out on it and you connecting with your mom and realizing that you're not yeah. alone in the world. And all that, like there's, there's, uh, there's a lot in there. Yeah. You the Irish thing. Through. And in, in later times in your, when you were 42, 10 years later, if you had a bad year, you could go back to that moment. I did. Where you called your mom from Lake Michigan and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Every again. time I'm I've had gonna... a year where it's like, oh yeah. man, that's fucked up. I go, well, well it's what is the 32nd I mean, year? It's, it's, <laughs> you, you can't so, brush oh, off the hardships, you know? Two things. One, you proved my point with the way language develops when you use the phrase commit suicide, because commit was related to suicide when suicide was a crime, according to the Catholic You're Church, right. right? So it was like committing Ooh, a crime. So good. She's good, David. When really the language now, the common language now is to be lost to suicide, to die by suicide, to attempt suicide and or to complete suicide, right? But what if I commit to it? Like commit. I'm committing myself. Okay. Because it's a pretty then, big commitment. It is. It actually is a fairly solid then, commitment then if you would, go through I it. I would yeah. argue that in order for the English language to function properly under that, it would be commit to suicide or committed suicide all right fair point. enough because yeah, like it's the sure. biggest commitment there is i, I committed yeah, to my uh -huh. wife but my uh -huh. dad is a phone uh -huh. call away and the uh -huh. divorce is just a few uh -huh. weeks after that so well here and i'm know. here i am here i i also think humor is incredibly healing so i don't want you to think that i'm over here being like sort of stodgy language police i just thought it was interesting that you like no, straight up really interesting. gave yeah. an example of how language changes right yeah well i mean yeah. that's one of that's the thing about it is and then you know i made the joke and david david was freaked out when i sent out here's what i think the topics are it's the mental health issue or or episode it's yeah. because we don't talk to any Usually it's just David and I, and then when we are talking to other people, it's either, you know, that once it's MT, which you'd listen to that episode, yeah, and David, I've never heard David suck dick harder than he did MT. I, he praised her. <laughs> My so, favorite was when she goes, "Why are you being so nice?" See, you know, I was, and I, the thing about <laughs> I just, it is, I was I sitting here that. doing exactly. It's like, what the fuck is his problem? But or it's Rory Zacker, and he's stoned out of his mind. So it's it's rare that we actually have someone. <laughs> 
intelligent, who has something to say that actually is in a field that we don't have any experience in, except that he does therapy and I'm Irish and we can't be psychoanalyzed. So it's like, let's talk to somebody about yeah. something real. Well, but Don, I, I would argue, that. and and you and I have talked about this. I can't, and I cannot remember if it's been, if it, if this has made it to tape or not. Your form of therapy, Don, is... Suck it up. No. Well, sure. <laughs> right but about is, it. I have something to say these, about that. Is these, is our podcast, is yeah. our conversations. Like we've, there's a lot of the airing of grievances that we go true. through that yeah. don't make it to tape. That, oh yeah, lots of that. You know, so I might go the extra mile. I do go the extra mile and I, I pay a guy to talk to because it's, but it's different perspectives. So I'm as I approach it as, as a, I think as a journalist, all right, I'm going to talk to Don about it here. I'm going to and get that kind of perspective. I'm going to talk to my therapist about it, get that kind of perspective. I'm going to call Bodhi, get her perspective. I'm going to talk to my son about it and get his perspective. I'm going to talk to the hole in my dick, get his perspective. You realize your son's mentally retarded. Yeah, but you know what? He's approaching the age. Actually, he's at the age. He's actually making sentences so he can get jokes. That okay. ins- where... Our friend Jared Keen's son That's a long-standing inspired... joke, by the way, Heather. That's a long-standing joke, not a serious. I understand. Okay. <laughs> Harry's at the age I, watching where Jared, Keen, where Jared Keen's son was. It inspired my six-year-old therapist, which is what brought us all together. <laughs> but that's a different thing. So he's not, he has an insight. And of course, I don't go to my kid and be like, I don't, why doesn't your mom like me? <laughs> yeah, you do. He doesn't care about that. He's like, because no, you're you still a whiny it. bitch. You know? No, you still do it. Uh, but Bodhi, you, you had... Something yes, to... two things, Bodie. Well, two things I wanted to say. Yeah. One, I think something that I want to, I just want to uh, point it. out and see whether or not that's what's actually happening is it feels a little bit like we're trying to decide what is right or wrong when it comes to mental health. What's the right. good way to take care of it? What's the not so good way to take care of it? I like to think about managing your mental health as sort of there is no qualifier of whether or not the way you go about it is good or bad. It's neutral as far as I'm concerned. It's what is working for you. So yeah. again, as artists and not clinicians, I'm not here to say you got to have a therapist. I, I don't know you. You know, if, if therapy works for you and you have the means to hire a therapist, great. If calling your mom and having her, you know, smack you straight with a couple of words works for you, Awesome. I hope that you also have a plan for when your mom's not there at the other end of the phone. I just have that story and that's all I need. All I need is that one story and the Irish Irish lesson that you only have three days to grieve or piss and moan because after three days you get shit to do. And that's not realistic and it's probably not helpful, but it's stuck. But here's the deal, Don. It sounds like that works for your life. Mm -hmm. And the thing that we also find and the reason we do storytelling as opposed to just getting up in front of people and saying, here are signs of depression, here are signs of anxiety, is because depression does not show up the same for any two people. If you and I both have a diagnosis of depression, I might be the kind that can't sleep, hardly eats, very irritable, hard to be around. You might be the kind that only sleeps, overeats, and you're sad constantly. You might have really, really dark, uh, hard sadness and depression. I may have complete and utter apathy. I feel absolutely nothing. But you and I have the same diagnosis and the same pill prescribed by our doctor. And our experiences are entirely different. Yeah. So I see you not being able to get out of bed. We work together, right? 
and I see you eating constantly. You take four breaks a day for a full meal and I'm pissed. I don't give a crap that you've got depression. I've got depression too. get your shit together. Right. Mm -hmm. That might be my experience because I'm putting what I experience the lens of what I experienced onto you. Yeah. So I would just argue that what works for you is great. And that does not mean that it should and or will work for anybody else. So our goal is to share the nuances of individual people's experiences and stories so that we can grow our empathy for the fact that no two people are the same. All right, Simeon cohort, here's Don and David with the six things you should do for the week. My first thing this week. Ah, thank you. <laughs> is is a do. Uh, it's, it's sit and really think about your mental illness, your stress, all those things. And are they, do you actually have autism or was there a cute article that <laughs> pointed these things out that like, Oh my God, that's me. This is why I hate personality tests. Cause it like puts things in a box. Like humans are complicated and we are all on a spectrum that is not the spectrum. It, but think about your shit and the best way to deal with it. And is it really a truth worth telling? And is it a truth worth whining about? Or is it something just like, all right, I need to get over this shit or cope with it or whatever. But think about your shit and how it relates to the rest of the world and how you function in the world. My the first world thing functions with itself. That's good. My first thing is a watch. It is Paramount Plus. It is the sequel to Kevin Costner's Yellowstone. And I actually have never seen Yellowstone, even though I love Kevin Costner. Um, it is uh, Sam Elliott in 1883. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a, so like the, the, the closest to like, hey, let's really look what the Oregon Trail looked like. You remember the game Oregon Trail? This is like, uh, yeah. Yeah. This is like what would happen if you actually saw them do it. It's fucking brutal. Um, it's a girl it's, I went to high school with is in the cast. Who should play? I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. Her name. Oh is God, it's Claire. so good. She I mean, plays dysentery. Yeah, all I'm um, telling you is it is it is spectacularly good. It takes. She its plays time. Alina. Alina. Show me, Show me the face. Uh, am I saying that is right? She the gypsy. Oh, oh yes, yes. I know exactly who she is. I know exactly who she is. Yes, yes. <laughs> She's not oh. the lead, but. Uh, no, it's really, really good. It's solid. And in terms of sort of the concept, again, and this is where this, you know, you know, like, because I agree with you all, everything you said about mental, like, like legitimate, and I know that's a, a coded word, legitimate yeah. mental illness, those, those things, I totally agree with it. My boss was mean to me. Somebody tried to touch my hair all day. Go fuck yourself. Go live in 1883, and then you know what real trauma is at because they're watching people die well, but also, from getting bit by a snake because she was taking a shit. This is before, serious business. Hang on, but hang it's a on. good before show. We move on from that. Let's not show. fucking let's not belittle <laughs> how much it fucking sucks to have your boss be an asshole to you every day, or to have somebody like, oh, can I touch it? Like it's shitty. Is it's it shitty, but it's is not it traumatic. No, but is Throw it fucking up. shitty? Yes. Should something be done about yeah, it? Well, there's yes. a lot of shitty things. You have to put up with me every sure week. I had to walk to school uphill both Exactly. Ways that's what I'm saying. Watch 1883. You'll see real trouble. All right. That's my second. My first thing is watch 1883 because beyond my weird oh. ass 
They, oh my it's God. a good show. It's a really good show. You were raped behind a dumpster? Well, were your, was your whole family killed in front of you like that wasn't the Holocaust? Shut up. Get That's over not what it. I said. Like, things are I didn't compare bad. it to rape in behind a dumpster. I compared it to having well, your hair touched. Maybe you should, you insensitive prick. That's me. Maybe in 1883, <laughs> they're like, in my day, back in 1818. <laughs> they they're like, what's are. a Holocaust? Sounds We didn't even have these wagons with covers, these newfangled wheels on them. Sam Elliott does a little bit of that, yeah. Because he was a train that kills all my enemies. I'm down. Mm-hmm. America. All right, Sorry. Heather. What's your first thing? Uh, my first one is a watch. Uh, HBO. I think it's Plus. I don't know. Whatever the streaming Max. series is. This Max. HBO Max. Thank you. Um, this is a little while ago, but I just can't. It's like haunting me. I love it so damn much. White Lotus. Mm. Yeah. I. It was so it was good. Shocked at how good it was. I absolutely loved, loved, loved it. See, it's funny because I watched it. the first episode and I went, "Yeah, I don't give a shit." And then yeah. I thought about it, and then I and then I decided, "Okay, I'm going to give it a shot, another shot." And then I fucking binged it in two nights. I mean, I was oh, like, "Oh my god, right. this is so good." Okay. Steve Zahn is so good. Steve Zahn I is so. It, 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 they're all so good, and it's cast so well. The music, just mm-hmm. the, the music that plays throughout the entire series, like shook my guts. It's like punch drunk love music. It's just so oh. fucked up. Yeah. Oh, no, I loved I, it. I highly, re- yeah, I agree with you entirely. David. All right. My next thing is, uh, it's another do. Find a charity that you care about and throw some money at it or volunteer your time. Five bucks, half an hour, whatever it is. Help somebody who could use a little help. That's all. There you go. My second thing is swing on over and you can subscribe for free. They don't charge. Substack. It's the liberal patriot.substack. This is four gentlemen, uh, co-editors John Halpin, Rui Texiera. Peter Jewell and Brian Catullus. These are all four men that have been doing uh, democratic liberal politics, probably collectively, you know, I mean, each of them has a 30, 35 year sort of tenure of writing. In fact, uh, Rui wrote, um, what I'm say, it was before 2016. He was the one that wrote the article there, the, the white paper that everybody read about how if the Democrats just hold on, as we change over into a minority-majority country, um, and and people of color sl- slowly repopulate the, the 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 country, that then the Democrats will win. He's the guy that wrote that paper. I mean, so this is a these are these are four guys that really know their shit, and it is definitely a more pragmatic, centrist perspective on uh, liberalism, the common good, pragmatism, and I. I just found it, and I went, shit, this is good. Good stuff to read. And that is my first thing. Second thing. Hey, don't get greedy, buddy. Woo. Uh, my next one is a listen. So someone suggested this to me recently. It's not something I would have picked up on my own, but it's an episode of Radio Lab. Um, <laughs> the podcast episode is called The Queen of Dying. And it is, and I wasn't trying to introduce people to Radio Lab. I'm trying to introduce them to this particular episode. Oh, I hear yeah. you laughing. Fucking Radio Lab. Well, you know, Jad Elizabeth, is leaving. He's Elizabeth Kubler Ross, this episode called The Queen oh. of Dying, is about Elizabeth Kubler Ross and the five stages of grief that we mm. all know so well. 
So if you have any grief or drinking, fucking life, smoking, running, denying drinking. It's just incredibly fascinating. And ultimately she started her career in the sixties when the common medical practice was not to tell patients who were dying that they were in fact dying. And mm. she busted into the hospital and was going into hotel or hotel rooms, hospital rooms <laughs> of people who were dying and asking them if they would be willing to talk about it. And they were all very eager. You're going to die. You're going to die. Gonna die. Gonna I die. just like the <laughs> idea of her running into a hotel room and a some dude room. from the white Lotus is die. just hanging out there having a vacation. because <laughs> You're going to die. He's like, what? I've just, I just wanted to my time. Yeah. No, it's just a really great listen. The whole thing is really fascinating and surprising and funny and sad and touching it's just great it's great well, outstanding outstanding well thank you heather what a great think, what good stuff as we sign off Bodie, thank you for for joining us tonight and having like a, this is a really serious like an actual conversation we conversation. don't have this very often and, and we had a conversation I'm about pushy. serious mental illness stuff where while don talked a lot he managed to not completely lose his shit so i well done don to you as well uh but Bodhi, thank you for being here and i here's how much like i want i you can listen to the literate cast on apple podcasts stitcher or any place you find your podcast jones if you enjoy listening to two white guys holding court review or share the show on your own platforms throw us a few bucks on patreon For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com. Check out the rest of our podcast, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopi and Locomotive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. Because she's like, this is a great show. This is new. I'll be falling asleep in bed. Like, in her early, I'm like, oh, fuck. The worst. It's like two different Ira glasses with their lame vices. And I can't tell who's which one is which. And neither of them are glass, but they're just like a different decibels here. Like there's this one here who's talking and he's producing. And then there's this one here who's producing. And you're never quite sure who's talking. They just throw shit in like, here's a bell. And like, here's another person who's talking. It's fucking insanity. But because I love you so much and I appreciate your opinion so much, I'm going to listen to the queen of dying on that fucking God awful, fucking terrible radio program, Radio Lab. And that's the show. That's it.